following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. Today, we begin this four-week journey where we're going to look at, at this idea, what does the word temple mean? What does the word church mean? Because I found that Christians... We have, we have a set of language, we have a set of terminology that doesn't match the Bible. And this is normal, right? This is appropriate because humans, you know, they have cultures and they have activities. Like we were talking a couple weeks ago when we, we, were, we, were, we, were, we are building a new building, which we'll talk about here in a moment. Um, and so one of the things that happened is we had, we're like, we're going to get new Bibles because I don't know if some of you guys picked up your chair Bible and you're like, Ooh, this baby's got a few miles on it, you know, and it's like about to fall apart, you know, because it gets thrown and tossed and it's okay. But we're going to get some new Bibles and we were talking about, you know, like the language has changed, you know, like for example, you know, like used to only be a verb, but now it's a noun because you're wondering how many likes I'm going to get this today on my social media post. You know, there's words that change and so it's appropriate, it's okay for words to change, but there's some words where you're like, draw a line and say, no more. We got to hold on to that word because if we let it go, well, then we lose something, and we lose something very important. Now, here at Praise and Worship, a, a few months ago, a little bit longer than that, <clears throat> I started this thing, and I said it like this. We're going to build this new building, and whoever calls it a church, every time you call it a church, you have to put a dollar in the building fund. That's how this is going to work. You know, put, it's like the old, you know, the, the cuss jar. You know, that's kind of what it is, it's like the cuss jar. If you cuss, you got to put a dollar in the jar. Well, it's kind of like, you know, if you call it a church. Now, for this sermon, I'm going to be using that word a little bit. So what I've got is I've got, I'm built up some credit and I'm gonna go ahead and put this in because I have to use the word in order to do it. So I'm gonna take it right over here. I'm gonna put it right in the building fund and that gives me 50 uses. I, I, know, I don't think I'll use it that many, but I'm covered in that way. And then besides, you know, we can buy a few extra light switches or something for the new building. So, so therefore I'm paid up. So why do I wanna talk about this? Because we saw in this, so many important things. Why was Jesus going into the temple flipping tables over? I remember when I was a kid growing up that they said we couldn't sell Girl Scout cookies in the church because of that scene. I don't think he's talking about Girl Scout cookies. I don't think he's talking about you know, buying a few scarves to, to help people in this time of need or whatever it might be. What he's talking about is so much more. And it comes down to what you think of when you see the word church or see the word temple. So, to kind of express this and to show this, I've got a, a few pictures prepared, because you know, you've seen those memes, like when you look at something, what do you see? Well, what I wanna do is, I wanna ask how some of you might see the church. So let's put up the first one, Lair. Some of you guys might see our new church. Yeah, I just, that was a dollar right there. Some of you guys might see our new church, that's two dollars. This might be the way you see it right? And the way you see it might be this, oh, it's a little country church. It's just, you know, you go there and they got the good hymnal, you know, and you just, you know, maybe you tap your toe, or maybe it's one of those churches where it's like you sing those 15, 15, you know, 1600s or 1500s hymns, and they're just really like impossible to carry a tune to, or whatever it might be. However you, whatever you like, you might see it like that. And some people, some of you guys might say, I see our new church that way, right? And, and that's one way to see it. That's, some of you guys might see it this way, which is, next one, Lair, this one, is like a Thomas Kincaid painting. And I've got to be honest, this just makes me happy. 
I'm like, you got, it's the snowing. It's, it's one of the, have you ever noticed it's not as cold when it snows? When it's just wet, it's just cold, right? But when it's snowing, everybody's feeling good. You got, your, you got the snowman, you got the Christmas tree with the lights, everything's just, it's just, I mean, it's Thomas Kincaid painting. It just captures that. And there's nothing wrong with any of this. This is beautiful. It's wonderful. Some of you might see it that way, right? So others might see it this way. Now, this is how my mom sees the new. This is my, and, you know, this is the cathedral in Cologne, Germany. I'm mean, like, ooh, you know, this is like you just, you know, you just expect the Pope has got to come by and visit it, right? You know, it's, you know, somebody might see it that way. And some of you guys might be like, I think it's going to be like that. I don't know. No, no. Um, let's take a look at this next one. You, some people might see it. This is what they think it will become. You know, this is, this is a mega church, right? You know, some people might see it that way. And like, you know, some people see it. And they're like, I think it's going to be like that. I think it's just going to take off and it's going to go. It's going to do all these things. There's 55,000 people that go to that church. I mean, that's just crazy, right? Well, maybe it'll be. Some, of you, some people might see it this next way, which is just like, I mean, guys, aren't we past this? I mean, Christianity's dead. It's just, you're just, it's going to look like that in a few years. It's going to be nothing. It's just, you know, those, it's a relic from the olden days, right? So now you need to know how I see it. Let's take a look at the next one. This is what I see. This is what I see when I look at our new church. Now, for those of you who don't know, don't worry, it's okay. This is the Millennium Falcon. And, and, and what's interesting is, is this is a spaceship that's a fictional place. But what's so cool is they've built these. They've built two of them, one and one at both of the Disney Worlds. And, and so you can go there and you can get in it, and I'm sure you pay a lot of money to do all that, and someday I will pay that money to do that. But... But what you need to know is why would Mark put a spaceship up here? What is going on here? Well, one of the things that's really interesting is the first time that we saw the ship was in a movie called, at that time, Star Wars. But you know what it's called now because they've made so many more? They, they so went back and said, well, what would that would have been if it was the first part of the story? It's called A New Hope. And this particular ship almost becomes a character in the story from all those years. And, 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 and one of the things that happened is it kept popping up right when somebody needed help. And in the, at the end of that first movie, A New Hope, right when all hope appears to be lost, and you got this smuggler who is kind of a scoundrel, we find out through the remainder of the story, who doesn't have any redeeming qualities, realizes there's something bigger going on. He was just in it for the money at first, and he realizes something bigger is going on, and he realizes he has to help. And so right at the point when every, all hope was lost, there the sun shines and the Millennium Falcon comes out of nowhere and helps save the day, and they blow up the Death Star, and everybody lives happily ever after. But they thought, wow, we can make sequels, so they kept doing that. But the idea here is what I want you to see is, I know it's a silly story, and you might be sitting there going, Mark, what does this have to do with anything? And the answer is, the other thing that's pretty powerful about that is it's just a hunk of junk, right? It's a, what a piece of junk, Luke said the first time he saw it. And, you know, Han was like, yeah, but she's got a few surprises. And, you know, she, she's got it where it counts, kid. You know, that's what he said. And then a little bit later, he would say to people, you know, she's got it. You know, she's got a few surprises left in her, sweetheart. This is the idea is I don't care how many looks at it. And one of the things is, is that sometimes your expectations might be here and reality might be here. And whether we're talking about a church building or your life, you see how that happens. And what happens when you see this kind of thing, when you start to see how the Lord is working and we, we realize that some things are not as important as we thought and other things are way more important, then we start to understand. Besides, you know, in the most recent movie, which not everybody liked, what, what this became is a, is, a, is a haven. All the people who were left got on board and escaped the evil empire. 
right? Guys, I got to be honest with you. There is an evil empire out there, and we got some rebellions to do. We got some fighting to do to push back the darkness, and, and, and we're called to do that. Take a look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 5. And I'm sorry, Anthony, I tried to leave it up there for the whole sermon, but I couldn't. Um, th- this is so important because when we talk about how we see things, how we see things, because, you know, my, one of my favorite bands, Audio Adrenaline, they always said, it's not how you look, it's how you see. And this is what I want us to see. So I will come near you for judgment, the Lord says. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers. And a lot of us in this room, when we read that, our minds just check out. Because they're like, you know, I haven't run into a lot of sorcerers lately, unless you want to watch Harry Potter or something. You know, you just haven't done that, right? And so you think, well, this has nothing to do with me. But guys, a sorcerer was simply someone who used the, the, the aspects about this world to manipulate and control other people. It's, it's a way of, of, of taking control. Adulterers, in general, one way or another, that's what that's about too. Perjurers, it's about not telling the truth so you can control and protect yourself. When, when we talk about those who defraud people of their wages, this is, this is people trying to be controlled, who oppress, that word goes without saying. You see, there's so many people who use God's word to oppress and control and step on other people. And we know it's true. We've all seen it. In fact, that's why a lot of people think that the thing that they see is the dead church because they think it's all gone because of so many people who just rip people off. Look at this, depriving immigrants of justice. I know that's a political thing. Sometimes the Bible gets a little political because you know the Lord is the Lord. And he has this idea where in Hebrew it's mishpat and zedekah. You know, it's this, it's this idea of justice and righteousness for all people, for all people, regardless of their situation. And you're like, yeah, but it ain't right. Well, uh, yeah, it's his word maybe instead of ours. I don't know, but you should try it out. And so the idea here is that it's, it's, he's not interested in what's because what was going on is they were, put, they were trying to put their country back together and they were trying to say, well, this is important. You know, that how, when, you, when you try to restore or rebuild something, you pick out what's important. And they missed what was important. People, not things. People, not things. Take a look at John chapter two, verse 14. So look what happens when this prophecy is fulfilled. It's it's fulfilled when Jesus strolls into the temple. And he walks in and he found people selling sacrifices. I'm just summarizing that long list. Because what they were selling, here's how it would work. If you were going to the temple, now if you, now you guys live in the year 2019, it's really good because God has poured out his spirit on all people. That's something, that's why we like praise him and that's why we like worship him. Oh, that should be a good name for a church. And it's like what you do. And so what happens is, is there were times in this world when he hadn't done that yet. And so if you wanted to be with God, you had to go to the temple. Do you hear me? And we, we take that for granted. We don't have to go anywhere. He is here with us now. It's called Emmanuel, right? That's the advent, right? And so what happens here is he's, he, he, they, they would have to go there and, and then, you know, if you were a working person and you were making minimum wage in the first century, just so we're, not, just so we're all clear, that wasn't very much. Not isn't, it is, still isn't. And so what happened is, is you would have to, you know, travel hundreds of miles and you couldn't exactly travel with a sheep or with a cow <clears throat> or with a dove pigeon, whatever it was that you needed for your particular sacrifice, for your particular fulfillment of the ritual. And so you would go into the temple, and the first problem that you had is you didn't have the right kind of currency. 
And so what would happen is you'd have to buy the right money, the right cash, if you allow the right coins. And so well, you've all, if you've ever done a currency exchange, you know there's sometimes a little bit of a problem with that, a little fee. Well, these guys were cranking that maximum. So it would cost you, you know, five, five times, 10 times sometimes, depending on the situation, and you would lose money. Then you would, after you exchange the money, then you would buy the, the pigeon or the dove or the, or the sheep or whatever it is you were doing that year. And now that was double, triple charged. You know, we have, we have like attorneys general now who like do these gouging, price gouging laws. They didn't have that. They had this Roman empire thing going on. We're like, eh, as long as you pay me off, we'll look the other way, right? That's how it was working in their time. And so what was happening is, is in order for the people to be faithful to their living God who they believed in, people were like, mm-hmm, stepping on their throats. And Jesus is like, dude, this is over. This is ending. And so that's why he came in and he saw them doing all this and he drove them all from the temple area. And he, he took their, all their coins and their little bank boxes and he just blew them up and scattered it everywhere. And you can imagine the scene. People were probably running around gathering the money, stealing the money, still missing the point. God Almighty had come down from heaven and was in their midst and they were like, who's this cat? Right? That's what they're thinking. And he overturned their tables and he did all this because he's not about the what. He doesn't care. Jesus Christ, the Son of God on the, in the flesh, is sitting there saying, I don't want your doves and your bulls and I certainly don't want these people being taken advantage of. Take a look at verses 16 and 17. To those who, who sold doves or pigeons, depending on your translation, because they didn't make too big of a distinction about that, um, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into an emporion, which is the Greek word, not very different from the Latin word emporium, which you can, some of you guys have been to an emporium where it's like a big marketplace. But what's interesting about this word is very important is it wasn't just a random marketplace. This was a specific design of capitalism, right? It was, how do we organize this? Like this wasn't just like, oh, you know, we can make a few bucks here. No, no, no. It was planned out. It was a systematic thing. Of, of oppression. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. And a lot of you are like me when I first read this, and we read that zeal for your house business, and we're like, oh, he's really, he's very focused on the temple. <laughs> right in the middle where he's flipping all the tables over. Is he really? So we have to go and read Psalm 69, because that's a hyperlink. Did you know the Bible has hyperlinks? It does. Whether or not you're reading a digital version or not, it has hyperlinks which link you back to parts in the story. And they want you to go read Psalm 69, not just verse 9, but the whole psalm. And you'll find out that verse is the only mention of any building. The rest of it is about people, because this is about people, not things. Can we, can we remember that? People. Not things. And so he says, he says, zeal for your house will consume me because the whole Psalm 69 is basically Jesus' point of view of what he was going through on the cross and through the process of going to the cross. And it's him saying, I will not stop. Thy will be done, not my will. That's what, that's what Psalm 69 is about. And so he, this, the disciples, are rem- they went back and they read this. They're, after he had risen from the dead, they're like, wait a minute, we gotta go find out what that was all about. Take a look at verses 18 and 19. The Jews, these, these, when it says Jews here, so I'm trying to be anti-Semitic, that's what that's about. It's, it's a particular term that means the rulers of the temple, okay? And the, 
the, the people in charge, the, the big wigs, right? And they demanded of him what, and there the Greek word is semion. Remember it said miraculous sign. But semion was just this kind of word that just included, you know, what stamp, what, what, why should we listen to you? That's really what they're asking. What sign can you show for doing all of this? You gotta have something, you gotta have like something on your belt. You gotta have like a, I mean, you know, like to use our analogy from earlier, at least you gotta have a lightsaber or something before we're gonna believe you, right? That, well, there's gotta be something. And Jesus answered him, I'll give you something. Destroy the temple, this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. I want you to commit that passage to your heart, guys. I want you to commit that passage to your heart every time you go into a cathedral or a basilica or a church, it cost me another dollar, and wherever it might be. I want you to remember this because what is that about? Is that about a building? No, it is not. And of course, they didn't understand any of that. They were like, three days, took us 46 years, Eh," right? Um, Jesus is wanting, it's kind of like somebody said to me not long ago, Mark, you're kind of fired up about this focus about it not being on the building. I wonder where I got that from. I mean, come on. This is one of those things, this is a critical time because our church, praise and worship, we're, we're gonna turn six years old on December the 15th, officially. You know, we, we had a group that was starting even years before that. But as they formed and formed and formed, they got to a point where they chartered, right? It's kind of a moment in the church's life where we're like, dude, this is a church. This ain't just a ragtag group. It's a church ragtag group, right? It's actually, we like, it's where you draw a line in the sand and say, today we become a church. And that's what happened on December the 15th, 2013. I was in this room when it happened. And so what happened was, is that's the day we became a church. And then, you know, you're just like, okay, now what do we do? Well, we preach Jesus. That's what we do. We teach Jesus. We love people. We welcome all people. And we share with them the love and the hope of Jesus. That's what we do. And we've been doing that. And then the Lord has seen fit to like send some folks. We're like, hey, high fives. That's how we do it. And then we just keep growing. We make disciples. We do all these things. And we do have to have some space to go. But the core value can never change. And that's why it's got to be the key. And for those of you who are like, dude, I'm a visitor. I'm like from, well, I met some people from California and Kansas and Iowa and Minnesota. And it's like, what does this have to do with me? Are you kidding me? It has to do with all of us. Because no matter where you go, the question is, who is the house? Who is the house? Oh, his name is Jesus. Take a look at verses 21 and 22. What happens in the house? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, His disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed. This is really what we want to happen today. And you might be like, Mark, I've been a believer all my life. I'm not talking about some sort of category. I'm talking about having hope in your heart today. I'm talking about trusting that all of the situations in your life that are about things, and I know you've got a few. I've got a few. Last night, one of my dear friends, Marty Hogan, she went to be with Jesus. And, I mean, that hurts. But you know what Marty would be telling us right now, what she's probably interacting with Jesus about right now? Everything's fine because she's with him. And the things don't matter, right? What matters is that we believe the scripture and the words that Jesus has spoken because he said things like this. He said, he said, John chapter 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life and the person who believes in me, though they die, will never die. 
That's what he said. And he's right because he rose from the dead. He said, destroy this temple, I'll raise it again in three days. That was his sign. That was his way of saying, y'all might want to listen. Because Christ is risen. And Christians are supposed to say, hallelujah. Somebody's like, you can't do that in Advent. Oh, well, watch us, right? Actually, maybe we should do it all the time in Advent, right? That's what we should do. So here's the thing I want us to do. Here's the thing I want us to do going forward today is I want to take this faith that God gives us that direct our attention toward people and not things. And when the day comes that the things break, because you know what, this is one of the things, I have to tell you this really quick story. So one day I'm riding with my, one of my dear friends, Gene Holbeman, and we were riding in a brand new truck. Gene sold really nice trucks and cars for a living. And I was just sitting there, I was like, this is awesome. And I'm just like, oh, you know, and he goes, and he just looks at me and he goes, you know one of the sad things about that is he goes, today is the best this car will ever be. Tomorrow it'll be a little bit deteriorated and the day after that it'll deteriorate some more and on it will go. Until one day, there will come a day when you will look at that and you'll be like, that thing is crap. That's what'll happen, right? And, and, and instead, we have this. We have what happens in the house, who is in the house, who is the house, right? So when we build a building, when we do things in your life, wherever it might happen, I want you to put your trust and I want you to put your faith in Jesus and I want you to focus not on whether everything's being done right, but on who is involved, on who's doing it and on whose words we're doing it. So speaking of words, since I'm out of money, I gave my last 50. No, I'm just kidding. But um, let's take a look at this next one because what, if we're not going to call it a church, what are we going to call it? We're going to call it the Praise and Worship Center. People have already started doing this. And I'm like, I love that. I love that. That's awesome. The Praise and Worship Center. It's very simple. So then you're like, well, it's, it, so you'll, you'll start to say, I'm going to meet you at the church. No, you don't. I'm going to meet you at the center, whatever you want to call it. Because it's a place where it's one of many places. See, this is the key. It is not, the, the church is not the, the building. The church is the people. And so if the people, I believe Jesus said something like this, where two or three are gathered. So for example, some of you guys go over and you hang out at Ed and Deb's house on Sunday morning. And they have a house church there. And you're like, well, we could go do that. And it's still, it's still a place where we're gathering and we're growing and we're encouraging, we're sharing. We have, the temple is there. Actually, there's multiple temples there. Because everyone who has the Holy Spirit in them, as we'll see in the weeks to come, is the temple, right? And you have lots of temples that come together who form the church. And sometimes y'all are, y'all, the ladies are over at Kay's Coffee and they're having a Bible study. Guess what? That's where the church is too. And sometimes over at Wednesday morning, we're down at the restaurant at Stonebridge. We're having a Bible study there. Well, guess what? That's where the church is. And some of y'all might just be sitting at the bedside of your son or your daughter who's saying, man, this was a rough day. Or your friend or you're going to the hospital and meet somebody, and you're sharing the love of Jesus. Some of you guys are like, we're not even from Branson, but you're gonna go back to wherever you're at, and you're gonna, that's where two or three are gathered, right? And Jesus is there, and that's where it is. And so, the Praise and Worship Center will simply be a headquarters, a hub, a launching place, which will send people out. And you know what? As many of you guys know who are visitors, there's a whole bunch of those all over the world, and they're everywhere. And what happens is, is we gather, we grow, we encourage, and we share. That's just what we do. And those are just words we lifted right out of God's word. We're going to pray about those words. And I invite you to um, think about how to apply 
this idea of people are more important than things. In your exact situation, and hearing those words, believing Jesus' words once again. Father in heaven, we thank you for all that you do. And we pray right now that you would indeed strengthen in our hearts the ability to believe what you have spoken. To believe the scriptures again. To believe in such a thing as the resurrection of the dead. This Lord who, who gave the sign, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And it was indeed on that third day that he walked out of the tomb. Help us to believe that fact. It gives us the power and the strength to face anything. And to know that you are with us at all times. To know that we don't have to go to the temple. You brought the temple here. You you made us the temples who gather together, who grow together, who encourage one another, and we seek to share. And then we're sent out into the world Sometimes we gather here in this place. Sometimes we gather at Ed and Deb's house church. Sometimes we gather at the grind on Saturday nights. Sometimes we go to the Bible study. Sometimes we're this place or that place. Sometimes we're, we're all over the United States or other countries. Wherever we are, remind us to believe the words of the scripture and everything that you have spoken. And it's in the mighty name of he who speaks that we pray, Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.